This is episode 122. We welcome you to the ADHD Smarter Parenting Podcast. Here to heal and elevate lives is your parenting coach, Siope Kinikini. Hi, everybody. It's me, Siope, here with the Smarter Parenting Podcast. And today we have a very special guest. And in fact, I'm super excited about what we're going to talk about today because a lot of you have called in, written in, and sent me emails about this specific topic. So I'm glad to get an expert on this to help all of us out understand what is available, what we can do, questions we should ask, and things we should consider when we have children with special needs, especially during this pandemic. So I'm going to have our wonderful guest introduce herself and give us a little bit of background about her experience and things that she's worked on, anything she wants to share to kind of give you insight into who she is. Right. I am Catherine Michael, and I'm an attorney who practices only in education law in Indiana, Texas, and Michigan. And then I work with other attorneys in other states, so I get a good view of what is often happening in our country. I've worked in this area for 20 years now. So it's really interesting to see the changes that have been happening and how we definitely have different views of what's important at different times. And got into this area because my background was in healthcare and healthcare law. And I got into this area because we had children who were hospitalized who had educational needs. And we just had a really hard time getting the schools to provide some of those needs, which was very surprising. And like many of you who are listening, my initial thought was, oh, surely the schools are going to try and be helpful. And I found they weren't. And so I got into this area and have loved it ever since, Um, whether it's getting a a reading program for a child with dyslexia that's actually a true scientifically tested program or ensuring a child with Down syndrome actually gets to stay in their kindergarten classroom with all their classmates, getting kids who have autism, good programs in place. I got to tell you, when I became a lawyer, I did not think it would be this rewarding for sure, but I love it. And I'm just really, really happy even to be on here today with you and giving you some more insight into what parents can do on their own. That's wonderful. So it looks like you've been practicing in a lot of different states, which is interesting because states can be different in the way that they interact and engage. Can you give us some more insight into that? Yeah, when it comes to education law and the primary thing that I work within is special education law which is, I mean, we do handle some general education things like expulsions and that type of thing, but special education is actually governed by the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, which is a federal law. So what states can do is they basically place that law into their state code. For instance, in Indiana, it's Indiana's Article 7 of the Indiana Code. And what they can do is they can add more rights to parents, but they can't take rights away. So we already have a a really good umbrella And the vast majority of states, while they may refine it a little bit, most of them don't give parents far more rights than what IDEA entails. Now, you have to be, when it comes to state law, you have to be licensed in that jurisdiction or you have to work with local counsel. So we have other attorneys in our office, some who are licensed in Ohio, some who are licensed in uh, Pennsylvania or Alaska or California. And so anything that is specific to those state laws we were working with them on, or if an attorney in another state calls us and says, oh, you know, I'm in over my head, what can I do? Um, we'll jump in and help them because there are states where there's only one person who's even doing this. So okay, and, a lot of demand and not many attorneys. 
I bet. I bet. It seems like a very specialized field then for the type of representation that you guys do. It is. Before I got into this area, I didn't know it existed. It wasn't anything that they had covered in my law school classes. When we had um, a child who was at the hospital at the time who was getting chemotherapy and we needed to get him a homebound program of, of some type, I remember just trying to find somebody to send the family to and I couldn't. And it was a good friend of mine who had just started in this area only because she was contacted by an out-of-state attorney who said, I can't find anybody. Will you work as local counsel? That we, we even discovered that this area existed. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So they can't take anything away from what's mandated by the federal government. Right. They can add. So states can add specific things, but they can't take anything away. Yeah. And I'll give you an example of that. So under IDEA, a school district has to educate a child who has special needs until they get a diploma, a certificate, or their 22nd birthday. And that's one thing a lot of parents don't know is that you can actually, let's say your child can get a diploma, but they need to go a little bit slower. Like they may need to take algebra two, three, four times or get some one-on-one services. You can delay that until they're 21 to make sure that they can actually get a high school diploma. You don't have to accept a certificate because you think they have to finish along with their class or by 18. Oh, wow. So states like Michigan, for instance, they actually will go up to the child when the child is 26. And again, lots of parents don't know this. So you can be getting vocational training. You can be getting social skills training. They can be working on life skills with your child. All of those things stay there until your child is really ready to exit the system. So every parent should be uh, like asking questions in their state. What is available? What does the law state in my state? Yeah. and, And I think this is one of those things where schools, unfortunately, don't know the laws as well as we hope they would. I I have a lot of parents who tell me that, you know, their school didn't tell them. Fact is, a lot of teachers don't even know this stuff. What parents really have to do, visit websites, get books on special education law. Um, You really be diligent to learn this because the the unfortunate thing is in this area, nobody's going to tell you and it's really up to you as a parent. When I say this, I want to sort of backtrack there. Under the federal law, schools are the ones who are obligated to provide what's called a free, appropriate public education. And so in theory, as a parent, you're not supposed to have to go out, search down the law, figure out what accommodations your child needs, what type of goals, when they're supposed to evaluate. All of that is supposed to be done for you. But after 20 years, I can tell you that is very rarely the case. Anywhere. It's not like it's just your state. If you have a parent thinking it's it's because I live in California or Delaware or whatever, it's everywhere. Some places it's much, much better than it is others, for sure though. Wow, that's fascinating. You're right. I don't know a lot of parents who are familiar and they kind of let the school drive how education is going to happen. So your recommendation is parents need to be aware and they need to know. So they can help navigate that as well, because the educator may not be aware of what they're required to do. Right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we I often see cases where it's a child who has dyslexia and we get a ton of these cases where they're just not making progress. And parents come to me when they're really at their wits end. The child is usually three or four years behind. 
And I look at their IEP and the IEP is your individualized education plan. And that's the document that every child in special education should have. And what I'll often see is they're not getting accommodations. Like for instance, audio textbooks, audio books of all the novels that are going, that are being read. And they often don't have a good reading program. We have a school that's using a hodgepodge of modalities. Maybe one day they're using some Orton Gillingham. One day they're using some Wilson. One day they're using Linda Moodbell. Another day it's a substitute who has no clue what's going on. And so we see these kids really start to fall behind and parents saying, what can I do? And the laws are already pretty clear. You have to have programs that are scientifically tested that are used and that are implemented with fidelity. And that's something that I think parents are often scared to push the school and ask for until things get really desperate. Yeah, I agree. I think parents only reach out when they are desperate. And sometimes that's a little too late to seek out the help that you need because they've allowed so much time to lapse in between that a lot of things fall through the cracks. Yeah. And I want to let parents know too. I mean, I get a lot who come to me in tears. They have a high schooler. And they do think it's too late. And I will tell you, it's never too late. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. So there we go. It's never too late. Because then I want to go back to your earlier point and then talk about why it's never too late. Everyone who goes to an IEP meeting, we all as human beings, okay, not all of us, but a lot of us, we want to be liked. We want to believe that others around us have our interests at heart, especially if they're working with our children. But we have to remember always Just like if you got a diagnosis of cancer at a hospital or you had some other medical issue, most people go home, they Google it. They look and say, who are the experts? Who is treating me? They ask questions. What prescriptions are available? You actually have to look at your child's education the same way. Just like if you go to a doctor and they're like, yeah, you got cancer, but you know what? I don't know if we'll use chemotherapy or radiation. Let's just try these other things. Maybe we'll try this medication this week, this medication next week. The fact of the matter is most of us start asking questions and you need to look at education the same way. The next thing is if a school district really drops the ball, the only time it's really too late is after your child has graduated. If they've gotten a diploma or a certificate, it's going to be really hard for us to do anything. If they're not yet there, then there's a lot that can be done. Under IDEA, and every state, for the most part, other than Texas, which has a one-year statute of limitations, IDEA has a two-year statute of limitations. So parents can bring these administrative actions that are not scary. I know a lot of parents live in fear of these. They're what are called administrative due process complaints, is you know we call a complaint process. But basically, the, a lawyer or an advocate in your state, and I'll explain what an advocate is in one second, files a document with that state department of education. And that document basically lists all the issues. And again, I'll use dyslexia because that's a common one, that the child doesn't have an appropriate reading program. Here are all the other issues. And then the parent is given a a independent hearing officer. That hearing officer then looks at everything. They look at the evaluations. They look at the child's scores And then they will order the school to provide compensatory services to that child. And then they'll order the school often to put an appropriate program in place. And if they don't think the school can do it, they'll order, in many cases, a private reading program. And so if you think about if you have a 10th, 11th grader who's still not able to read, then you can get, you know, let's say a Linda Mood Bell program 
and they actually do a great job and new. They don't pay me to say that, I assure you. Um, although, you know, that's a good plug. <laughs> but no, Linda Moon Bell is, is fantastic. And I have not had a client who's ever been unhappy with them when worse comes to worse. If we're in a school district in rural Mississippi, they don't have anyone who's trained in Orton Gillingham or Linda Mood Bell. These are great programs we can get kids into. And depending on the area that families live in, there are a number of private schools all over the country in most of the big cities that are specialized for specific learning disabilities and intense reading programs. It's certainly um, one of those things where you can, you can really remediate a lot, even late, so that that child is actually able to get a good foothold and even get into a community college, even if it's that late. My first year of practice, I had a 12th grader who couldn't read. And we were able to get a lot of remediation done. He went on to community college, later ended up getting a four-year degree, which was, to me, I mean, that's why I'm, I'm definitely preaching not too late. <laughs> that's fantastic. Actually, that gives a lot of hope to parents. And so I think that's fantastic. And you've mentioned different modalities of educating kids that have these needs. And I think it's important for parents to understand there are multiple ways we can reach these kids. And given where we're at and the research that has been performed for decades, there are things we can do to reach kids that are really, really struggling in school. So I'm glad you mentioned those. I'm glad that you were talking about those. I do have a question in working for, let's say parents come in, their child has an IEP that the school is following. When should a parent consider contacting you as opposed to working with the school? Because you're obviously legal representation to be sure that the school is complying with everything. Where is the boundary between let's just work with the school and be sure everything's going okay, we, the school's not meeting our needs. Now we need to up it. Yeah, and that's, and that's a great question. And that also leads me to sort of discussing what parent advocates are and how attorneys work in this field and all of that. I often think if a parent is looking at a child who is not making progress, who doesn't have challenging goals and objectives, a child whose IEP is being repeated year after year, they feel like they're going into an IEP meeting, they're not getting their child's accommodations, they're seeing the same thing again and again. It's not a bad idea just to reach out, especially if you're in a state where there are more um, special education attorneys rather than less, to an attorney and just say, hey, can you review this and let me know? Some attorneys, I would say probably at least 50% of the attorneys in this area do free consultations. It is most of the attorneys who are in this, it is a labor of love. It's not like mergers and acquisitions or tobacco litigation. Most of the people in this tend to be kind-hearted. And so that's the first thing is that will give them a basic idea because again, it's sort of like seeking a second opinion. So that is one of the things I tell parents to do. And don't wait too long. For instance, in Texas, with that one-year statute of limitations, you see parents every year saying, let's give it another shot. And then they finally get to me or someone else on year four or five. And now it's like, all right, how, you know, we could have nipped this back in the bud, which would have been better for everybody three or four years ago. The great thing about IDEA is it has a prevailing party fee-shifting statute. So that allows attorneys like me and, and others who do what I do to, if we decide that a parent has a due process case, 
to actually seek the fees back for the parent from the school district as part of either settlement or if we're the prevailing party. So at my office and most like mine, we shift through a lot of cases to make sure we're picking out ones that we think are going to be successful. I look at every case, like if a parent could afford a private program or private tutoring or their own audiobooks, they're not going to be contacting me and taking a financial risk. So what we do is, and, and again, a lot of attorneys who do this follow this exact same model, is that you look and say, is this going to be a case where we can really get changes? And if a hearing officer sees it, they're going to rule for the parent that this IEP isn't appropriate. The child needs other accommodations. We need new goals, additional services, compensatory education. And then the parent is entitled to getting their attorney's fees back. And so that makes this process very, very affordable for parents who would not otherwise be able to do this. And that's because these are civil rights laws. And so this gives access to a system that otherwise most people wouldn't be able to access. So I think that parents who are in a situation where they really feel like things aren't right to at the very least, even if they're in a state where someone asks for a consultation fee, as long as it's reasonable, it's worth talking to an attorney about it. Um, Just like if you had a problem on your taxes, you might pay for an accountant to take a look at everything. It doesn't mean that you're cheating the IRS. What it means is I want to make sure I'm doing things right and that I'm doing things as I should. Okay. Because again, all of us are not going to be jack of all trades. And that's especially true, I think, in terms of law and education. That's wonderful. Yeah. Now, um, I just want to go back just for our listeners and those who are um, following this discussion. You've mentioned IDEA multiple times. Can you yeah. define that? Define that and give give them a sense for what that is. And- yeah. So IDEA is the federal law that governs all special education in the United States. And it's defined as the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And parents who want to sort of Google search the history, it came about in the 70s. I believe it was originally public law in 1974 is is when it came about. And I can't remember its exact citation, but they can just put in idea and special education on a search engine and it'll pop right up. And basically it's what lays out the framework of a couple big, big topics. One is the free appropriate public education. And that means you shouldn't have to be paying for your child's education. And it needs to be appropriate to their needs. And by appropriate to their needs, if your child has autism and they need goals across areas of reading, math, but then we're also looking at social skills, behavior, they need to have a comprehensive, appropriate program to meet their needs. It also contains another big area is what's called the least restrictive environment, And that parents often will see this listed as LRE, you know, just the initials for the least restrictive environment. The initials are acronym for it. And when we look at that, that is we want a child to be educated with their general education peers to the greatest extent that we can, as long as it's appropriate. So I'll give you an example of this. And schools are supposed to use supplemental services and aids to make sure this occurs. So if you have a child who, let's say, has Tourette's. And every once in a while, they're going to start jerking or yelling, and they need to just be removed from that environment for a couple of minutes. A school could pair your child with a one-on-one aide and still have them in the general education environment all day. Or let's say we have a little girl who has Down syndrome, 
and she's having trouble following along, but it's really important for us to have her with her peers where she's learning appropriate role modeling. We tend to learn by watching others and copying. Then we could pair her with a one-on-one aid. A child who has a specific learning disability who's really behind in reading, but who we, let's say, have an intervention program, we should still have them in their general education English class and be giving them audiobooks so that they can be discussing the book and the topics along with their same age peers. The idea is that we don't want to be separating people based on their disability and saying, uh, you just need to go to the resource room all day. And so that's the law that gets forgotten in a lot of places. Now, there are, of course, exceptions to this. Um, talking about LRE. If you have a child who has really extreme behaviors, that's not obviously going to fly in a general education room. If you have a child who needs a really intense reading program and we need to do three or four hours of pullout to remediate them, obviously we can do these things. And that's where that becomes what's appropriate. IDEA also has a number of procedural safeguards for parents. So what most people don't know is if the school evaluates your child and you don't think it's as comprehensive as it should be, or you're looking at this and saying, I know Johnny can do far more than this. This is not a representative of what he's capable of. You can ask the school for what's called an independent educational evaluation. You can choose your own evaluator, as long as they're licensed in that state, some states you can actually go out of that state if it's a child who has um, something very, very unique. But generally, if, as long as that person has reasonable rates, they're licensed in that state, you can select them and the school has to reimburse you or pay, or pay for that evaluation. So that's a procedural safeguard that gets forgotten a lot. You know, others include parents' rights to file for due process, their right to get copies. If they disagree with the IEP, um, they have the right to actually have the school provide them notice as to why the school's not doing the things that the parent asked for. Okay. No, that's fantastic. This is such helpful information. Holy cow. I mean, really, there's so many parents out there who go through and they're busy. They have a lot of things going on. They send their children to school with the best intentions and teachers and educators are doing their very best. But sometimes kids need just a little bit more and parents aren't sure exactly how to provide that, especially children with special needs. So it ends up being this kind of debate and this this struggle. And yet if they knew what they could do and if they knew where to go and questions that they should ask, then they can actually make some headway, which is great. So this is great. Absolutely. Well, you know, and my clients, you know, they have the same thing. And I, you know, I actually created, started creating for my clients and it is, it is going to be available on Amazon and Kindle. But I came up with an ebook with all of these questions. I tried to make it as cheap as humanly possible for the time. But it, if someone just Google searches my name, it is the Exceptional Parents Guide to Special Education. And it's made to just be easy to read, easy to understand, because we could never cover all of that. In one thing, and I think if parents just reach out and look at what's available, right, there's a ton of websites, too. I think that they will be able to find out there's a lot of resources out there um, and there's a lot that they can get and ensure their child has that can make them successful. 
That's wonderful. So I just want to be sure everybody knows where you can go. So Amazon, they can get this ebook that you've created. Yeah. And it's under Catherine Michael, right? It's under Catherine Michael. It's the Exceptional Parents Guide to Special Education. Oh, I'm so excited to have that. I know. Available. <laughs> well, and, you know, it came about because I was just getting so many questions from clients. And so what I had basically started doing was putting together these like little question and answer booklets. And now I just decided to combine them, have some of my clients put in their own stories and just make something so that parents know they're, they're not alone yeah. um, and also give them the resources that a lot of them would have gotten from a consultation. Because in some states, I mean, believe it or not, there really are no attorneys who do this. And so parents have to really advocate um, on their own. And so I just I want to have something out there so that, again, you don't feel so alone and you know what you're entitled to. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is fantastic. In fact, we will include a link to this on the website. Oh, great. We absolutely want to make this available to as many parents as possible. So those of you who are listening to podcasts, really, this is going to be so helpful for you to guide you along this process because I've heard the questions. And unfortunately, I don't know all the answers, which is why we have expertise from people like Catherine to guide us along. So it's wonderful. Um, is there any counsel or advice you want to give to parents if they're going down this road of seeking legal representation? What are the questions they should be asking? The first thing is you really do want to find someone who does this for a living. Again, it's like anything um, in life. You wouldn't go to a podiatrist if you needed brain surgery. And law is very much like that. It's a very much a niche area. So that's the first thing is do you do this regularly? How often do you do it? If you can't find someone in your own state, seek out people in other states to pair with an attorney in your state. And a lot of the attorneys who do this will do that to help get representation in states where we know there is no one or where it's so limited, those attorneys can't take anything new. So that's the number one thing. You're also going to know very quickly if you're talking to an attorney that doesn't know when you're using the words FAPE or LRE or my child's IEP, they're not sure, that's going to be a red flag that they don't do this area. The other thing you may want to consider doing is most states have um, advocate groups. And um, what they're called is parent advocates. And they are great for parents who are just entering this process and who need a little bit of guidance on what the state laws are, what resources are available in their communities. Parent advocates, in my opinion, we need a lot more of them. Most of these organizations are all volunteer. For instance, in Indiana, one of the organizations is InSource, and they have a little over 100 advocates, I believe, who work for complete free for these parents to really help guide them through the process. The difference is advocates are not attorneys. They are there to guide you and to help you understand it. Unless you're in a state that doesn't have attorneys, it's, it's problematic to try and, and do these things on your own. We see a lot of uh, parents try and go through due process hearings with just an advocate, and then they're paying the advocate, and they can't get back their advocacy fees, and they come to us for an appeal, and all sorts of things have been messed. And so that is something to really guard against is know that advocates have a, a really, really important place. But if you actually things are getting bad and it's not improving, you really need to talk to an attorney at that point 
But it is it is really essential if you're going to spend time on this to find somebody who knows what they're doing. You don't want to spend money if it's somebody who is just going to make the situation worse. Yeah, I think it's important for parents to really understand that because you are working against a, a timeline here. Right. You know, and so school is only in session for so long and having access to the people who are running the school, you only have for so long. And so the sooner you can get to it with the appropriate representation, the better off you're going to be. The same goes with schools. Just don't in life hesitate to ask questions. You know, don't think an attorney is going to get offended if you say, how many of these have you done? Um, ask your friends, um, get on websites. You know, they, there's an organization which is the, it's called COPA, um, the Council of Parents, Attorneys, and Advocates. And their website has a list of attorneys and advocates by state and other resources. The, another website is rightslaw.com. They have a section that has, um, it's the yellow pages for kids um, that also has a listing of attorneys in those states. Moms groups, if you're on Facebook, getting on moms or dads groups and asking if other people have found an attorney in your state. These are great ways of, you know, sort of getting ahead of the curve and finding, you know, names of, of people who have already been involved in this process in your state. Yeah, that's wonderful. Now, I want to go back to, to a topic that you'd brought up earlier that it's never too late, even if the child becomes 18 or an adult. Yeah. How does that work? Let's say that a child does turn 18. How much autonomy does that child have if there are special needs that still need to be addressed and they don't have a diploma? You know? Yeah, that is a that is a big and important topic. Um, so often there are a couple of ways we go about this. One is depending on the child's impairments, a parent can seek guardianship even if it's a very limited guardianship. Think sort of Britney Spears, just financial guardianship, right? And she's a full-fledged adult. I think she's 40 now. So you can get guardianship on your child's finances and education without, you know, impairing them in other ways. Some parents will simply seek an education guardianship. Others will have their child sign a power of attorney over to them for educational decision-making. So if you have a child who, for instance, has a learning disability and they're fully capable of driving, managing their finances, but they want mom and dad to be at that IEP meeting making those decisions, we simply have them execute um, a power of attorney or consent for their parents to be there for their decision making. And it's really important as your child approaches 18, if, if it's a child who you know doesn't need a guardianship, of sitting down with them and explaining we are here to advocate for you and we need you to help us stay involved in this process. And most kids are receptive because what can happen is that you have a child who turns 18 and the school is like, Hey, you can get your diploma this year. Or guess what? You are on track for your certificate. You can get it early and get it in December. And unfortunately that happens a lot. Um, And once that happens, the child doesn't have rights And we've had, unfortunately, a very good number of families and even kids come back because they accepted, like, I have an 18-year-old that we're going to try and do something for, but they had learning disability school, had them sign something, and the school then gave them a certificate. And now they're claiming that they don't owe this child any sort of services. 
So, you know, that can happen. And you really, as a parent, need to make sure your child is aware that if that happens, that's not something they need to be accepting. So obviously, we are fans of education because we want all kids to get good education. So just so you know, teachers, we love you. We love you, educators. At the same time, we want to be sure that parents are well-equipped to help their children along this journey because really the only consistent thing in the educational journey are parents. So, Yeah. Well, and that's you know something you just remarked. We actually get a lot of referrals from teachers. Oh. Um, yeah, which is, yeah, that isn't one thing that's changed in the past 20 years. We get referrals from teachers because they feel like their hands are tied educationally, that they know a child needs more, and they don't have the time or the ability to get it. From reading programs to we get a lot of teachers who, for instance, have a child whose behavior is so severe in the classroom, they're getting injured, others are getting injured, the parent is on the phone crying with the teacher, they're like, what do I do? The teacher will be like, you know, there are many options. Let me just send you to some websites to read about things. And they'll often find our name. But that's, you know, one thing to touch on, too. If you have a child who has behavioral issues and they're injuring your teacher, other students, if a school can't manage that child, um, well, first of all, they're supposed to do something. And this is, (laughs) I know a lot of information. (laughs) They're supposed to do what's called a functional behavior assessment and then a behavior intervention plan. They still can't manage that child's behavior. A school is going to have to provide a therapeutic day placement privately for your child. If your child needs a residential facility, because let's say they have a schizoaffective disorder or something like that, that has to be provided by the school district as well. So it's important. And that is one thing very, very few parents realize. I've worked with children who have been placed in residential. So I've done work with those kids. I didn't realize that that was something that is all over the United States. So, yes. Wow. Yeah. And California does a ton of placements right now in Utah, I believe. But yeah, this is all over the United States. And often parents rarely, if ever, find out about that until they've gotten legal counsel and their child's been expelled or other things have been going on. And And then we do get those placements. Okay. No, that's good to know. And I just want to reiterate, this is for children who have been qualified as need or special needs. Like they have gone through the testing and there is, they have determined that the child has special needs. Right. Right. And if you think that your child, for those who are listening, if you think your child has special needs and the school has said no, you actually do still have the right to request that independent educational evaluation. Again, it's it's really important that you advocate for that. One of them, um, Texas got fined um, quite a bit of money from the federal government because they weren't properly qualifying children for special education because they didn't want to provide a lot of these services. So if you're if your child has not been qualified and you're listening to this and thinking, you know, Sarah has learning disabilities or Steve has, you know, severe ADHD, whatever it might be you can go a step further and ask for that IEE is what we call it, or go ahead and get your child evaluated. You're going to ask for a full psychoeducational evaluation from your school or from a private evaluator. Get the school that data and make sure you're requesting that they qualify your child. Okay. Wonderful. 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 This has been so amazing to me because I have learned so much. Oh, I'm glad. (laughs) That's it. Uh, I want to thank Catherine for joining us. Thank you so much. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me. You know, I, I love doing this because again, I think that the more of us who have information, I think the better off we all are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We'll go ahead and um, leave a link as well to your information on our website. If that's, all right. that's it for me. And thank you so much for joining me. We will see you again next week. <laughs>